2: Welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth. We're coming to you a little bit earlier this afternoon because we have a very special guest coming on with us in about 30 minutes. Brandon Thorne, offensive line guru, uh, covers the offensive line and defensive line for Bleacher Report, established the run, uh, really keyed in on the offensive line community obviously with all the rumors and visits for the patriots with the big boys on the line of scrimmage we're going to talk to brandon about that later on in the show we want to start with some patriots news and notes if you have questions uh, we will also take some questions until brandon joins us at around the 1 marker of the next hour so let's open with Where Alex and I just came from which was a video conference with Jabril Peppers one of the Patriots newest free agent signings finally talking to a player that was signed this offseason we've talked to a couple of guys that are returning to the Patriots like Matthew Slater and James White but this was the first time that we had a new addition to the team what were your initial impressions of some of the tidbits about Joe judge or his role in the defense, potentially returning punts Uh Jabril preppers did share some information with us today. I'm not saying he gave away the state secrets, but there were some interesting notes from what he had to say.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I just think he's a guy who's kind of got it figured out. I think he's in the mindset that they want him to be. And he talked about whatever the team needs me to do, you know, multiple front looks uh, or, or multiple secondary looks with that group and, and kind of talking about how he can complement that group that he's stepping into in the safety room. I'm, I mean, I'm still excited. He's still my favorite signing of the off season. Not that there's a lot of options to choose from, but uh, it, it seems like he's buying in right away. I think too, just kind of telling us where he's at with his injury uh, five months in, hasn't had any setbacks, all of that. So all encouraging. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And he said it was a partially torn ACL, not a fully torn ACL. So that's also good news for Jabril Pepper's, most likely means, just based off the timeline and everything, that he should be a full go for training camp, assuming that everything goes well between now and then for him. I thought it was really interesting what he kept on dropping about multiple safeties in this defense. Obviously, we've seen them use three, sometimes even four safeties, depending on the defensive personnel and packages that they're running out there. But clearly, with Peppers in the mix, Devin McCordy coming back, Kyle Duggar and Adrian Phillips under contract, we could see a four safety defense. And we've seen maybe that at times, you know, certain situations, late in games, you know, Hail Marys, those types of situations, right? Uh, very, very right. situationally. But in terms of that being a more regular version of this defense, I do think it's possible. I, I do think that we're going to see a lot more zone looks uh, coming up next season with all these safeties being interchangeable parts I think that would be pretty interesting to see how they use all these guys. And Peppers left that up to the coaching staff, as every good uh, statesman does at the podium, right, and said, "We'll let the coaches decide how we're going to use all these guys that we have in this room. But it's going to be a competitive group. It's going to be a fun group. And uh, the other thing that he mentioned was returning punts. And he said that he didn't have direct conversations necessarily with Bill Belichick or the coaching staff or the front office about returning punts when he signed here with the Pats, but he seems pretty open to the possibility of returning punts if he's asked to do that.
1: Yeah. Which I obviously is a need after Gunnar Shevsky, Lee left and we we've highlighted a number of players, right. Throughout our yeah. mock drafts of, you know, potential kick returners, punt returners, Marcus Jones, Tristan Ebner. But it's it's going to be a role they need filled. It's certainly going to be a role they need filled. He did it at a high level in 2020. Obviously, the knee injury last year, he couldn't do it for a second year in a row. But, yeah, I that is as interesting as anything else with him, I think, is the kick return element.
2: Yeah, me as well. The, the last note from Peppers talking about all these safeties. I, I do wonder, along with the zone coverage stuff and some of the other conversations that we've had about playing multiple safeties, three, four guys on the field at once, it could also be an indication that they plan on playing a little bit more split safety coverages. You know, the Patriots notoriously under Bill Belichick in recent years, especially have been very high, uh, uh, very heavy on the single high safety looks, right? Cover one match, cover three zones, a lot of post safety Devin McCordy in the middle of the fields, playing center field, durant Harmon playing center field. We could see, and I, think the Patriots over the last couple of years have implemented more cover two. maybe they call it quarters looks like cover two to me on tape and have implemented some more split safety zone over the last couple of years to deal with some of these spread offenses that we see in the division. They played a lot of split safety against teams like Buffalo, for instance, over the last couple of years. So maybe having some more flexibility where Peppers allows you to play him in the box. Kyle Duggar maybe plays deep. Adrian Phillips maybe plays deep next to Devin McCourty. And they can go with the two deep safety look a little bit more often, especially against Miami, for example, when you have two guys like uh, Tyree Kill and uh, Jalen Waddell that can get up the field like that. You might want two safeties over the top of those guys instead of just one in the middle of the field. So a lot of interesting uh, things to monitor as we move forward here. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Just, just, I would add the other thing I think it does. And and I've been thinking a lot about this and I see some people in the chat talking about, you know, the linebacker position in the draft and all of that. Do you remember in 2020, they, they didn't have linebackers. They just didn't on the roster. Like Juwan Bentley, was the only linebacker with over 50% usage rate. The next closest was Anthony Jennings. He was like 28, something like that. You know, they just didn't play. They didn't play linebackers. They didn't put linebackers on the field. I wonder if we could go back to that this year, right? Where it's just, they're going to have one linebacker, whether it's Bentley or Mac Wilson, depending on the situation. Yeah. That guy's going to be on the field in the middle, wearing the green dot. And then it's just going to be the defensive line in the secondary around him. Like, They've done it before. I don't know that it's necessarily the best plan, but if we're looking at, you know, what are they going to do here in the coming weeks and what are the, the previous acquisitions tell us? They may be like our base. De- they may be in the mindset that our base defense is going to be four safeties. Yeah. That may be where they're, where they're looking. Cause they have the personnel to do it. They have the personnel do it at safety and they have the lack of personnel to justify it at linebacker. So I, I wouldn't rule that out either. So we've had this conversation before too, from the angle of,
2: When you look at guys like N'Kobe Dean, uh, Christian Harris, even 225, 230 pounds, those guys are jacked-up safeties playing linebacker. And the question that I always come back to with the Patriots specifically with the way that they've used those safeties is does Bill Belichick say, well, why would I use a jacked-up linebacker who is worse in coverage than just a guy that's played a safety his entire career right. where yeah. I can get these 220, 225 pounds safeties that, okay, maybe they are five to ta- 10 pounds lighter than somebody like Nicobe Dean, but they're much better in coverage and much more flexible in coverage. Cause they can also play deep. If I want them to play deep. I, I think a lot in a lot of ways, the league is saying, Oh, well, we're going to, load up on these Deion Joneses types of linebackers that are 225 pounds. And Bill is saying, I'm just going to take the 220 pound safety and put him in the same exact spot because the play strength, the size we're we're talking about on the margins here, Kyle Duggar is longer and maybe thicker than a guy like N'Kobe Dean. Like he's right there in terms of uh, height, weight, wingspan, all that kind of stuff with a guy like Dean. So you mentioned the one linebacker defense, or maybe like a, a five-one diamond front, where you have the you know th- t- typical traditional three-four look on the line of scrimmage, three down defensive linemen, the two outside backers, and then just one middle linebacker in the middle of that, and then you have the safeties kind of filling in around it. Is that a better approach or a smarter approach than drafting? The Nicobi Deans of the world, or Christian Harris, or uh, Brian. Or uh, we're just talking about Brian Robinson, that Awesome Why. I think it's Brian too, right? Awesome from Oklahoma, who's yeah, the also in, yep. that, in that category on day two, is like two hundred twenty-five, two hundred thirty pounds. I, I could hear an argument that it's better to get the guys that are more natural, instinctive, seasoned in coverage that have played safety for most of their careers in, both in college and the pros and taking these linebackers that are undersized and are more or less tweeners. I think in bill Belichick's mind, are they linebackers or are they safeties are kind of neither. And I think that's sort, of, that, that's sort of where the, the lines get crossed, I think for bill, in terms of drafting those types of guys.
1: And then you look at the guys that they have specifically in house, Kyle Dugger, we've seen, Rush the passer before, and he's kind of developing in that role. And Jabril yeah. Peppers can get after the quarterback. Jabril Peppers yeah. can play. Yeah, so,
2: good.
1: you know, that would be the the, the flip side to that argument as well. Yeah, okay, maybe a guy, you know, some of these safeties are more experienced in coverage, but you're going to need that guy to rush the passer and play the run too. And a guy like Nicobe Dean is going to be more experienced at that. Well, Duggar and Peppers can both play at the line of scrimmage. They can both go get the quarterback. They can both, you know, d- they're not going to come out – and set the edge like an outside linebacker, but they can both play the run, right? They're both three down players. So they they have the personnel for it. I, I don't know that this is for sure the way they're going to go. Look, we're having this conversation, and then they move up for Devin Lloyd in the first round, right? It blows it all up. But it, they, they, if that's the way they want to go, and they've done it recently, they did it in 2020. Maybe it was more by necessity than anything else after Dante Hightower opted out. But they have the personnel. They've done it before. So who's to say they won't do it again? Yeah. Then you have guys like Duggar and Peppers and Adrian Phillips
2: and all those players closer to the box that are athletic or in the box that are athletic, closer to the line of scrimmage. Once Josh Allen starts running around, you got guys that can pursue the ball, right. And can get to the the quarterback a little bit faster or spy Josh Allen a little bit more than maybe a linebacker could like a Van Noy or a Bentley or Collins over the last uh, year or so here. So it's going to be, Really interesting to see how they use all these safeties. Bill is always loaded up on safeties. They've had Terrence Brooks in here a couple of years ago that added that fourth safety into the mix. I think peppers is an upgrade over Terrence Brooks, but that's kind of the idea behind it. I want to talk about some of
1: these top 30. Hang visits. on. This Uh-oh. is, I, I mean, it doesn't impact the Patriots. This is just kind of wild. I'm trying to figure this all out here. Uh, Warren, Warren sharp just now. For the last decade, Dan Snyder has underreported ticket revenue. Per an investigation, he raised prices and categorized surplus revenues as bogus licensing fees related to concerts, college football games, to prevent sharing with other owners. He's got to go. Yeah, he's got to go. This is this has to be the last straw. That's embarrassing. Wow.
2: We'll see. I mean, that's tough to prove, right? It's a
1: little. You can kind of get your hands in the books
2: and. Cross well, reference, but this is—I is, I mean, I, i
1: you know, I, I don't want to go too far into this because I'm just seeing this. I haven't read it all, but yeah. basically, on what Sharp is saying, Warren Sharp is the legitimate. I mean, I forget yeah. exactly. Who well, we no, it was a business.
2: story done. I want to say in the Athletic or maybe it was the Washington Post. It was one of those big. Oh wait, this, you, you had seen this? Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, it, it, this is the first I'm seeing this. Okay, yeah, it, this was uh
2: this was a deep dive, an investigated reporting job. That was something that it, it kind of has been kicked around so i okay it looks like
1: the the ftc's involved like that's a big yeah that's that's the thing is in order
2: to really get your hands on the books and be able to truly prove that dan snyder and the and the uh, commanders were doing this you have to almost have like a, a government agency involved that has accountants and has money people that are always looking for these types of frauds and stuff like that in business, right? An FTC or something like that to really go through it and and find out if he was cooking the books. But yeah, very interesting. Interesting times down there in Miami with Stephen Ross. Interesting times, uh, certainly in Washington, always with Dan Snyder. One of these owners is eventually going to lose a seat at the table. You would have to think, whether it's Ross or Snyder or someone along these lines. Owners, especially in the NFL, have a tough time turning on other owners because they don't want to be the guy that gets turned on. Right. You know, one day down the road, a scandal hits them and hits closer to home. And all of a sudden the other 31 owners are raising their hands to vote them off the Island. They don't right. want to be the guy that did it to the other guy because that opens up that door or that possibility for them to be uh, the one that's getting the finger pointed uh, down the road. So it be really have to be something completely illegal and horrible. I think to get one of these NFL owners to be well, put it on, off the Island, so to speak.
1: So this, th- and again, I'm just kind of skimming through this, but under reporting revenue, you know, the, the NFL, there's a revenue sharing element to Correct. all of this that it, and, and that impacts the players,
2: Absolutely. right. And it,
1: it impacts the it players contracts. And yes, I, I would imagine basically he was stealing money from among many other things. This is in some ways stealing money directly from not just his players, but players around the league. I can't imagine the union is going to be thrilled with this. No. And the union is a very powerful body, right? So Dan Snyder, man. Wow. What a joke. What a mess. Yeah. All
2: right. Let's talk about some top 30 visits here yeah. for the Patriots. Maybe the biggest one that we've heard so far, we have heard about the offensive lineman. We'll get to that in a bit here. We have heard about some corners, Trent McDuffie, Andrew Booth Jr. coming uh, for top 30 visits with the Patriots. But probably the one that would make the Patriots nation the happiest is John Mechie from Alabama reportedly coming to Foxborough for an in-person top 30 visit now. A lot of the times these visits, one of the biggest things that go into how they decide who to bring in for a top 30 visit is medicals. So guys that have had prior injuries like John Mechie with the ACL, it's obviously smart for the team to bring that player in and check in with where he is in his, own, in his rehab with his ACL and where he is in his recovery potentially even get your own team doctors to get hands on the knee and figure out where the knee is at and see if there's any long-term damage or potential long-term damage. So for many reasons, this could all just be doing due diligence from a medical perspective. But after they traded for Devonte Parker, filled out this depth chart in terms of veteran receivers and guys that can contribute right away. We talked about it right away when they traded for Parker, but again, now that they have Mechie in, It makes even more sense, I think, to draft a guy like John Mechie, who might have a little bit of a slower burn getting going because of the injury. But you're looking at this as a long term pairing with Mac Jones, hopefully for the next five to 10 years or at least four to eight years, if you want to take the rookie contract and then a second contract on top of that as a go to pairing in the Patriots offense. Great chemistry at Alabama, over 900 yards, eight TDs in that 2020 season with Mac Jones. A really productive player, runs really good routes, sudden accelerator, really good at the top of the route, good down the field at the catch point, too, better than what you would expect given his listed height and listed size. He's actually a guy that wins in contested situations pretty well for somebody that's not six foot three and a big body type of receiver. he jumps well. Jumps well, yeah. What are your impressions of this visit? Do you think that we shouldn't look in too much into it just because of the medical situation?
1: Or uh, do you think that this is legitimate interest by the Patriots? No, I I think it's legitimate and you're not wrong when you say sometimes teams will have these guys in just to see where they're at physically and get a closer look where they're at physically. Right. But if you wouldn't realistically draft the guy, you're not going to blow a visit to find out. Right. Right. If they if they were like, we're not going to take John Mechie. Why bother to see where his knee's at? What? So that if Buffalo or the Jets or Miami drafts him, you have a better idea. Like, I guess I wouldn't put it past the Patriots. But no, if they're speaking with him, if they're using a top 30 visit on him, he is at least on consideration in consideration. Now, look, maybe the knee's not where they want it to be. And he comes off the board after the visit. Like, that's a possibility. But as things stand right now, and I think the meeting's going on today. So who knows if it's happened yet or not? If he's coming in to visit, he's on the radar. He's on the board, as he should be. So I I, I don't think it, it means it's a lock they're going to draft him. Like, I see some people thinking of it that way. It's not that simple. But he's on their board, and we heard this from Ernie Adams last year, Evan. Remember, their board is tiny, right? Yeah. What is it, like 80, 85 players where most yeah. teams are well over 100? Their board's not that big. So if Mechie's on there, they value him. They believe he's legit. I, I, I'm I, fine looking into this and saying they're interested. I won't say it means they're definitely going to take him. I won't say it means they're going to trade up and take him. They're interested in him. I think that it's perfectly fair to put that out there, as it is with, with most of these visits. I don't think they're just checking in on guys. Like, I remember a couple of years ago, they went to Trevor Lawrence's Pro Day. I guess this would have been last year. And it was just sort of like Bill talked about, oh, it's good to see him. You know, once yeah. he's on other team, you can't really get a look at him. I I, I think that's a very specific thing to quarterbacks and was specific to that year. If they're meeting with somebody, they're interested. So another angle, not to go down this whole road with quarterback pro days with Trevor
2: Lawrence is if you consider him as the top guy in the draft, when you go and watch a guy right. like Trevor Lawrence throw in person, you can then compare how he throws in person to Trey Lance, to Justin Fields and to eventually to Mac Jones, right? So it's about right. – kind of calibrating your eyes for sure. where, where's the best guy at so that we can understand where everybody else slots in after that. So I think that's a big part about
1: going right to quarterbacks pro days, but you're not going to, you're not going to do that on top 30 visit. Players actually are not allowed to work out at top 30 visits. They can take like right. written tests. They can have medical workups. They can't do on field work. You can, you can ask a player to come for a workout that may happen, right? Derrick King came to, or I don't know if it was here or, or they went there. Derrick King worked out for them. Josh Thompson, the corner from Texas, worked out for them. Players can agree to that separately, but that's not a top 30 visit. Top players in the class aren't going to do that because they don't need to, right? Yeah. Metri's not working out. They're not re, They're not resetting their eyes or anything. I think this is yeah. purely is his knee in a good enough spot where we can keep him on our board where we have him? Should we move him up the board? Is he ahead of where we thought he would be? Do we need to move him down the board? Is he not where we thought he would be?
2: Sometimes the draft, we get so in the weeds with it and so do teams. Sometimes you don't need to overcomplicate things. And this is a player that had tremendous chemistry with your quarterback, built in immediate chemistry with the quarterback, gets rave reviews every single time. Nick Saban talks about him publicly, about how cerebral of a player he is, a hard worker, a physical guy, really tough uh, minded football player, urgent player, fast player, somebody that Nick Saban just constantly says he loves.
1: Love is one coach. of Nick Saban's all-time favorites. Yeah.
2: yeah, so you have your your buddy Nick Saban telling you that the kid's great. You have the quarterback telling you the kid's great. Not to mention that they don't necessarily need to do things to make Mac Jones happy, but it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world it's to not, yeah, to make Mac Jones happy. And you put all of these pieces together and we we talk about so many other wide receiver prospects. I see in the chat people talking about like Sky Moore and uh people like, you know, in the first round, Jameson Williams, Chris Olave, Traylon Burks, we'll go down the line. I always just continue to keep coming back to Mechie because why make it more complicated than it needs to be? Why try to take a guy that it might be a very good prospect in its own right, but somebody that has to come along implement himself into the system uh, familiarize himself with Mac Jones when you just have Mechie, who is really tailor made uh, to play in this offense it just feels like one of those situations where let's do the obvious you know and we've talked about it a lot that the patriots sometimes surprise us and actually do the obvious, like Mac Jones right. last year was an obvious. Well, that's candidate. Mechie feels like the same kind of category to me.
1: It felt like for a couple of years the Patriots kept trying to get really cute with the draft, right? Yeah. And do you know what? Uh, do you know what Occam's Razor is? Uh, we're getting yeah, really you can philosophical here. Occam's yeah. Razor is a philosophical term. It basically means more, or a, or a, it's a philosophy. It's a theory. I don't know exactly what it's qualified as, but Occam's Razor yeah. is basically the concept that more often than not the most obvious answer is, or the simplest answer is the right answer, right? right? You know, if you're cold, is it because, you know, let's say you walk outside and you're cold. Oh no. Am I getting sick? Right. Whatever. Maybe it's just cold out. Right. It's yeah. that kind of thing. I thought last year, the Patriots really took that approach to the draft. They needed a quarterback. They took the best quarterback on the board. They struggled up front the year before they got arguably the best defensive alignment in the draft. Right. Um, it kind of went that way. And then later in the draft, they got a little more. They started to reach a little bit more, whatever. But John Mechie is the Occam's Razor pick this year. He's the obvious pick. He's the easy pick. He's the simplest pick. There's no need to overthink it as long as his knee is, is in the shape that it's reported it's in, right, where he's flying through his rehab and all of that, which we don't know. Look, maybe he took a step back since the last time we heard, and that changes all this. And that's why it's such a weird thing with him. But it just – it. It's obvious If somebody in the chat is 54 too early for Mechie. If they feel like he can play by October. Right. I don't know. I, that, that might be okay. Like, I think he's a good enough fit that even if it's objectively too early and Evan, this was the argument we had last year about Mac, right? Like early on. Well, yeah, I like Mac and I don't mean to keep bringing this up and picking on you, but yeah, like Mac Jones. I just, I, I, I don't know that the 15th pick is where you take Mac Jones. I think maybe you can get him in the second round nobody cares once he's picked right with yeah. the, the, the example I use is the Seahawks took Russell Wilson in the third round. It was considered a reach at the time. You don't hear about that anymore because Russell Wilson went on to become one of the best quarterbacks in the league. If you th- think John Mechie is going to be, you know, second round pick, you want a borderline pro bowl caliber player. If the, if not better, right? If you think John Mechie is going to come right in, hit the ground running, not gonna be a thousand yard receiver year one because he's gonna be hurt but if you think he can come in and be a thousand yard receiver in year two 54 is perfectly reasonable spot to take him it doesn't matter what the consensus boards say it doesn't matter what we say ultimately at the end of the day because if he comes in and produces again nobody's gonna be like yeah john mechie man he played here for 10 years patriots hall of fame wide receiver of the year all that but oh man if If they'd taken him at 85, who could they have gotten? right? No no normal person is going to have that conversation. If they're in on Mechie, I think 54 totally makes sense. Yeah. We've also talked about some scenarios,
2: certainly in our mock draft shows, about them trading down. If they add another day two pick, like if they have four picks in the top 100, I don't know how one of those doesn't come out being John Mechie, right? I understand – That if you have three picks in the top 100, you need probably a corner, a defensive playmaker in the front seven there. You need an offensive lineman or two. I could understand them going in different directions to fill more immediate needs potentially on their roster. But if they have four picks, which basically makes one of those picks more or less a little bit of a luxury pick, right? It's kind of an extra added bonus. Right that really opens up that door for John Mechie. We're all on board with it. I don't see how anybody couldn't be on board with uh, the Patriots adding uh, John Mechie here uh, in the draft next weekend or two weekends from now, I should say it's good. Again, it's the obvious pick. Don't overthink it. Uh, bring the guy in. I- I've also heard that his ACL rehab is going really well and he's ahead of schedule or on schedule. At least the both Alabama guys are putting down pretty aggressive timelines for their returns they want to be back by training camp. I don't know if the Patriots even need him to be back by training camp, right? That's the biggest thing is you, when you have Parker, right. Aguilar, Myers, and Bourne already ready to go on the roster, why do you have to then rush John Mechie back? We'll see what well, happens, but this just feels too obvious not to have
1: it. Yeah, it's, it's a, that's kind of a double-edged sword, though, because if... Mechie's like the Patriots aren't the only team meeting with Mechie. The Bills are the uh Jaguars. Are, there's a couple teams, right? Yeah, if Mechie's gonna be ready for training camp, he's not gonna be there at 85. He might not be there at 54. If John Mechie doesn't tear his ACL, he's going in the first round. Like, I'd put him ahead of I'm trying to think of the guys who are projected to go at the end of the first round right now. Like, I'd put him ahead of Dotson, I'd put him ahead of Sky Moore, I'd put him ahead of Christian Watson. Personally, I'd put him ahead of Traylon Burks, right. Like, I, if, if if John Mechie's
2: their fit and what they need and what works here, yes. I I don't think in terms of raw talent, he's ahead of Burks, but yeah. So,
1: so the Packers have those picks at 22 and 28, right? Yeah. If John Mechie's perfectly healthy, he's going with one of those picks. I don't think there's any debate, right? If he gets there. So it's kind of, it's, you know, if he's going to be ready for camp, if the Patriots think he's going to be ready for camp, they're probably not the only team that thinks that. And if they're not the only team that thinks that, his value is going to go up. So, the like, the healthier he is, you may need to go 54, the more I think about yeah, it. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, a lot of the mock drafts that we did, and granted, these are just PFF simulations and whatever. If you don't take him at 54, he gone, right? He's, he doesn't make right. it to 85. So, no. like like I said, the question is, is do they – fill in that gap somehow with an extra pick by a trade down that allows them to then take a guy at 54 and then Mechie in between 54 and 85.
1: Or do they trade up from 54 like they did last year?
2: Right. I mean, there's a lot of different scenarios here that we could get into. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. But the point is that the Patriots hosted John Mechie or hosting, I think as we speak, uh, John Mechie on a top 30 visit. That's uh, obviously an indication for many other reasons on top of that. Mac Jones, Nick Saban, uh, the Patriots are heavily interested in the Alabama wide receiver. Uh, Really quickly before we get Brandon on, I wanted to just mention that James Cook, the running back from Georgia, is also uh, reportedly on a top 30 visit with the Patriots as well. We have talked about running back being what we call secondary needs here on the show right not a primary right. day one need Love but somebody that they could get in the fourth round or maybe later to mm-hmm. either look at Damian Harris's second contract with the team and whether or not he's going to be here beyond this season James White's future with the team obviously that receiving back third down back role James Cook not as dynamic of a ball carrier as it as a in-between-the-tackles runner as his brother, uh, obviously Dalvin uh, for the Minnesota Vikings, but a very well-rounded player that can catch the football out of the backfield or even line up detached from the formation out wide and run routes almost like a, from a receiver alignment away from uh, the backfield as well. Very versatile player that can do just about everything on a football field.
1: Yeah, the skill set reminds me of Rex Burkhead. I think his upside is obviously higher than that, but right. the kind of player that that comes in here and succeeds. I mean, they, they, love those kind of guys. Cook, he's projected right now to go end of day two early day three. They have that 127th pick. It feels like that, that might be a fall for cook. If he's there, I think that would make a ton of sense. That's right around where they took Ramondre last year. I think Ramondre was their first. Yeah. He was was their first pick pick pick. on day three. He was their first pick. So I, you know, I could see it. I like cook. I've liked cook throughout this process. Um, We'll see, you know, would they reach for him? Because if they're not taking him at 127, pending a trade down, they have to take him at 85. If you're going to take a running back that high, I think Brian Robinson is a better version of everything that James Cook is. So if you're, or even if you trade, you pick up a pick in the nineties, right? That's what we've done in our box. We keep taking picks and then we keep adding a pick like 91, 93. I take Cook there. I think that's a perfectly fine pick, but if they're both on the board, I take Brian Robinson and Brian Robinson's probably still going to be on the board at that point. Right? So that's I, like I I I we know I want them to add a running back. Everybody knows I want them to add a running back. I'd be fine with either. Um, I just think it's interesting that they're meeting with Cook, and I'd I'd be curious why. We don't know that they prefer Cook to Robinson, to be honest. But just if they do, why that is?
2: Yeah, they do love those Georgia running backs. Obviously, Sony Michelle that's a true, big, great but- Draft pick, and I think a big part of it, not that. Alabama is not a diverse run scheme as well, but they see a lot of overlap, I think, with the blocking schemes that they use down in Georgia with what they're going to ask their backs to do. Georgia's a big inside zone team. The Patriots don't run a ton of that, uh, but they do run some of the power stuff the Patriots run. And I think there's some crossover there between what Georgia does and what the Patriots do, certainly at Bama as well. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. And don't forget that baseball is back in the start of the Major League Baseball season Is finally here. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. bet online where the game starts. But our guest is on the line here. We're going to pull him up right now. And uh, that is Brandon Thorne from everywhere. Bleacher Report, Establish the Run, uh, Joe Moore Award uh, panelist as well. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. And we're really excited to get into this with you.
0: Absolutely, guys. Thank you for having me.
2: No problem. So, we were just talking about thirty uh, top 30 visits. There we go. Uh, for the Patriots, uh, some other positions, John Mechie, uh, James Cook from Georgia we were just mentioning. But the position that they've really hammered in these uh, private visits, workouts, uh, combine vi- uh, conversations as well is offensive line. Trevor Penning, Kenyon Green, Zion Johnson, guys rumored to have reportedly visited with the Patriots. I want to start there in the first round. Everything that we have heard, also my Giardi NFL Network saying that the Patriots are all in on this offensive line class. They have a whole at guard. Uh, they have a long-term hole at tackle. Let's start with the tackles, though, and uh, look at Trevor Penning and Bernard Raymond specifically, who I think are the, probably the two most likely guys uh, that will be there for the Patriots in the first round. But f- between those two, uh, do you have a preference of which one you lean uh, specifically for the Patriots, but just in general as well?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a good question. I see those guys kind of like, I guess, in almost like tier three of the tackle class, I guess, Um, you know, with Neil and Aquano being at the top cross kind of in his own tier, you know, and then below him, Penning and Raymond, I throughout the process, to be honest, I've had basically the same grade on both of them, like a fringe first round grade, you know, late second or late first, early second. But I, if I had to pick, I kind of prefer Raymond. Um, and the reason for that is really body control and recovery balance, which are two traits that I think translate very well to the NFL level. Um, and he, he has those things in spades, as well as athletic ability on the field, like functional athletic ability, which, I, you know, is all kind of the same bucket. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, for those reasons, you know, and the consistency that he shows those things on tape, that's why I lean him. Whereas Penning has more of kind of the prototypical height, weight, arm length, uh, you know, that you look for at tackle. Um, and he's a little bit more powerful than Raymond. So I, you know, I could build a case for him. Uh, they're both very good finishers, uh, you know. Penning obviously is a little, has a little bit more flash and kind of a name in that regard, but Raymond's a very good finisher, very good competitive toughness as well. And the thing about Raymond that I love as well is he's picked up the position so quickly. He's only played 18 games at offensive line in his entire life. And, uh, you know, he just started playing offensive line in 2020. And uh, for him to pick up, you know, sort of technique and staying attached to blocks and just that body control element, as fast as he has, even though he's older, I feel like he's still young in terms of football player wise, and he still has a lot of room to grow um, just for the simple fact that he hasn't played that long. And he really got better this past season. If you start watching him against Missouri and LSU, you know, some good stuff, some bad stuff, but then you watch him later on as the year progressed, and he got progressively better. So there's just a lot to like about Bernard Raymond. He could even potentially play guard, and I've heard that several teams see him as a guard. Um, and I think that's probably because of the arm length thing and playing with the short corner, um, which I like to kind of say a tackle, kind of getting losing a little too quickly around the edge. Um, so that that's fine with me. I, I just want him on my offensive line, and I could find a spot for him. I think Penning could probably play guard as well, but yeah, I mean it's a toss up. It's a flavor thing, whatever you like, but. I would probably lean
1: Raymond if I had to pick. Is Penning's aggression helping him or hurting him ultimately? Because I feel like different people say different things.
0: Um, I, I've leaned towards helping him. I mean, you know, really when it comes down to it, you want to be able to have to reel a guy in and to push him forward. Uh, I think it's a, a little bit easier to do that. Um, so, you know, me and just kind of my preferences, my biases, if you want to say that. Um, and I think a lot of just kind of general offensive line guys, quote unquote, I mean, they want that, you know, that, that dog, you know, that, that, uh, that guy who's really going to get after guys and and be a tone setter. And if you have to reel that back, that's a good problem to have. Uh, and that's kind of how I feel about penning. I mean, yeah, I, you want that, you want that kind of mentality. Um, but yeah, he is going to have to learn how to temper it a little bit, but yeah. I mean, it's a fine line. You know, you, you, I think of the, the ultimate example of this is Ryan Jensen. Uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes he's going to cross the line, but man, you, you love having that guy on your team. Um, and I think penning has that element to him. So yeah, he, he you know, there's a little nuance that he's going to have to pick up there, but man, you, you, you definitely want what he brings in terms of his mentality, uh, in my opinion.
2: I think that there's also, and this is just me talking, I feel like there's maybe a little bit of, I played at Northern Iowa, and I need to to be even better than, let's say, a guy I played at Georgia, right? Like, I need to show that I am physically dominant over these guys because some of these teams, if you're going to draft a guy in the first round from a smaller school, want to see him absolutely dominate the level of competition, not just... Sure. win his block, but absolutely you know, ruin a guy's day, which I yep. think is sort of what Penning's mindset was last year. Just watching that tape against North Dakota State, I mean, you can put, pile, what, nine, ten reps of him finishing a guy into the ground and giving him a little extra. And I think he wanted to say, hey, this is probably one of the best rosters I'm going to play all year long, and I'm out here throwing guys around like they're rag dolls." And I, I think that that was part of the message that he had – for NFL teams. I know down at the senior bowl, people were a little bit wary of the fact that he was throwing guys near the quarterback, which obviously mm-hmm. is not necessarily the best, but I'm, I'm with you hundred percent that I would rather reel it back in and have to get more physicality out of a guy. You mentioned Raymond's movement skills. I was watching him the other day against D'Angelo Malone, who's probably going to be an early day three guy. He had one rep where he lost pretty quickly around the edge, like you mentioned, but for the mo- most part, it was really, really good tape from Raymond, and he kind of shut Malone down for most of that game. His mm-hmm. burst out of his stance or just his ability to to get out of his stance and move side to side, would you say that that is probably his, his standout trait if you had to grade in terms of athletic ability and range, or would you say it's something else?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, just kind of what I was saying in the beginning is the body control, athletic ability, weight distribution, all those kind of things. He's consistently balanced with a strong base and he could redirect very quickly and, and cut off, you know, inside counters very well. Um, and yeah, he's he's a very sticky, you know, kind of blocker, you know, and the, the ability to to stick, sustain, steer blocks like he does in the pass and run game. Man, that that's really encouraging to see from anybody, let alone somebody who's as new to the position as he is. Um, and I think when you look at Penning, he he's more of kind of like a blunt force kind of guy, whereas he he doesn't stick to blocks, you know, leverage blocks as well as Raymond does. He he has more refinement needed, I think, to his technique than Raymond. Um, and he, you know, especially in pass protection, you know, I think Penning plays a little high, he gets beat. Inside, he actually doesn't anchor as well as you would think for somebody being as big as he is. um And you saw that at the Senior Bowl. You saw it on tape. I mean, it's the same thing. He's the same same player, you know. So, even though the Senior Bowl had some of that flash, I thought he was okay there. um And it wasn't because he was throwing guys in the quarterback. Yeah, you don't want to see that. But for me, there's other reps that didn't make it on social media necessarily. I posted a couple of them, but uh, where he's just his technique, his hands, his strike timing, his pad level and stuff like that. And pass protection, that's, that's a concern for me. Uh, So I don't think, I think Raymond has some concerns as well, but they're different. You know, it's mainly playing with that, you know, giving up that short corner too much. Um, So they lose differently. They have some different concerns. I just like Raymond's ability to leverage blocks. And I think that that is going to translate pretty well uh, to the pro game
1: Whereas Panning, I think, needs a little bit more work. Let me ask if we can move on to day two. Evan, you good with that?
2: Yeah. That's where I was gone. Go
1: ahead. Uh one of the hardest linemen to read in this draft is Daniel Falele. So what's your what, what's your like just what's your read on him overall? It just he's 380, so you think he's gonna be this big dominant physical force, but he hasn't necessarily shown that, at least not consistently.
0: So I mean Filele, I I have like a – I'm looking at my grading scale right now, pretty much like a mid to late second round grade. Um, so that's, you know, more more like late second, you know, early third kind of round range. Uh, I mean, I I like him, you know, considering that, you know, for, which for us is, you know, either a potential impact player or a high level backup slash potential starter. I kind of see him on the fringe of those two kind of buckets for us in our grading scale bleacher report. Um, you know, basically. My my last line in my scouting report online is, you know, I think he has an enticing blend of size, ease of movement, and natural power with some notable refinement as a run blocker. So that's the thing about him. I, I really like him as a run blocker. I mean, you watch Minnesota's offensive line, they're very well coached. They're running a pro style system, they're running duo inside zone, outside zone, pin pull. You see him gallop into the, you know, three techniques on deuce blocks. I mean, you see every pro kind of run block you want to see watching Minnesota offensive line, which I love. Um, And then I think most evaluators of offensive line love. You get to see blocks that he's going to be executing in in the NFL on tape. So that to me is his most appealing part of his game is as a run blocker. Um, He's going to need to have some schemed help in pass protection. Uh, I think for probably the first year or two of his career, Um, He needs to refine his set points and his use of hands. Um, You know, I think he has the tools to, to do it. You know, I think really given his size and he's a pretty good mover, even though he didn't test well at all, I think initial movement with him is pretty good. Um, He really needs to learn how to play inside out on pass rushers. Now he has 31 starts, I believe, and he still hasn't learned how to do it. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. That's a valid question, but if he could learn, to just play a little bit better inside out, he's big enough, long enough, and he can move well enough to just blot guys out. Um, you know, you see a guy like uh, Orlando Brown, uh, Jordan Milata, You know, there's some 350 plus pound guys who aren't like the greatest movers. Mylata is a little bit better than Orlando Brown, but you know, you you get my point. But I think the reason why they're so effective largely is because they know how to stay inside out on pass rushers. They elongate that track to the quarterback. And if you could do that and just a little bit better, then he becomes more of a viable starter, in my opinion. But that's what's going to have to be corrected. He's probably going to have to go somewhere early, like a heavy RPO play action type scheme, maybe a run based system, Shanahan-esque type system, uh, You know, run a lot of wide zone, um, maybe a multiple run scheme would be ideal but he's going to need some tight end help to slide to his side, especially to have that inside guard help. There's going to be some things that you're going to have to do to kind of work around his deficiencies, but I think he has the tools to correct them to an extent, uh, and he'll bring you something in the run game. So, I mean, you you watch Minnesota, man. I mean, a lot of their runs are hitting off his backside. I mean, he's a people mover in the run game. So that's what I like about him, and that's where I kind of see his appeal.
2: Yeah, they definitely have had some good – big tackles too, right? Obviously Trent Brown's the first one that comes to mind, but Mike Onwenu's Wendy's played tackle for them too, at at a 340, 345 pounds. So I love the optics if they take a guy like Villele of him learning from Trent Brown. Cause no nobody better at that size to learn from on how to play to your size and also to mass some of the issues that you might have with being six feet, 380 pounds and somebody who is six eight, three hundred and eighty pounds in his own right. I want to ask you about two more Guys that probably are are tackles, but I, I know that uh, Godeki from Central Michigan. Some people think is moving inside to guard as well. Uh, he's the other tackle, and uh, Bernard Raymond's the top tackle, obviously from that school. He's the guy on the right side uh, for Central Michigan. But every time I watched guys, uh, you know Bernard Raymond. I was like, "Who's the 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 other tackle pretty solid too." Uh, what do you think about Kadaku? He's probably like a mid round guy as well, or maybe a day three guy that do you see him as a guard, see him as a tackle, and how do you kind of see his NFL future?
0: He's hundred percent a guard to me, uh, definitely not a tackle, um, and that's partly because of his stature. You know, shorter arms, but just the way he plays, he he definitely plays with a, a short corner. I think and he also just guys get inside of him too easily at at tackle you watch Missouri even LSU a little bit but Missouri number 18 I forgot his name right now but he's a long guy I mean he has great reps too you know don't get me wrong but I just think he's clearly an inside guy um but nonetheless I love Luke Gadecki. I have him definitely as a top 10 guard in this class I'm looking at my list he's Um, probably like top eight or nine. You know, I have like a a third round grade on him. I actually just watched a ton of his film today. I'm doing a film room with him tomorrow. Uh, So we're going to break down his whole season, basically, um, that people can check out on Trench Warfare. But, you know, he's relatively new to offensive line, um, which I also like. He started 25 games, so a little bit more than Raymond. Um, Missed the whole 2020 season with a knee injury as well. Um, sucks. He got hurt at the Senior Bowl early. We didn't really get to see him there. But he, being you know relatively new to the position, um, he's never had consecutive seasons um, at the position either. Two total, you know, after converting from tight end uh, in 2019. So, man, I feel like there's he's just scratching the surface, and he kind of has those similar type of traits to Raymond, where he's a little bit, a bit even more sawed off and more stout. Um, But man, the play strength, competitive toughness and balance, I think is going to make him a successful transition inside center or guard. I love the demeanor he has, uh, his knack for staying attached to blocks with a really strong latch and grip strength, leg drive. Uh, I think he's going to be able to compete right away uh, for a starting job. And that's what a third round grade for us is, high level backup slash potential starter. He's in the mold of uh, Joe Dahl, Mark Lewinsky. Um, that's the kind of guy I think you're going to get. I think the high end guy you can get is like a TJ Lang. I don't know if that's going to happen now. I mean, TJ Lang was an all pro at one point, but I think you're probably safest to make a bet that he's going to be like one of those kind of guys that I mentioned. Um, my comp for him is Mark Lewinsky, but yeah, you're hoping for a little bit better player than that. But nonetheless, you know, that's a guy who's starting for, you know, several years, you know, he's going to be a really valuable guy to an offensive line room. That's how I see Godecki. I mean, I can't wait to talk to him, pick his brain, you know, about his tape and all that, but man, there's a lot to like about him. So I'm a huge fan and he, he screams Patriots to me. So
2: Yeah. There's so many guys over the last couple of years since I've been covering the Patriots in the draft that everybody's talking about his teammate. Right. And then the Patriots end up drafting the, the other guy that, that everybody. Yeah. I can see that. A lot of times they say to us too, well, we did a lot of homework on Raymond and we were like, oh, the, the other lineman's pretty good too. And we ended up drafting the other guy instead. So I wanted to ask you about him. Alex, do you have any more tackles before we ask him about guards?
1: Um, Well, so I, I am more of a big picture question. Evan, I think you're going to know where I'm going with this. So you mentioned Gideki may need to play guard at the next level, right? I think you, you said that about uh, Raymond as well in penning. And th- I, me and Evan have had this discussion. I'm just curious because you work a lot more regularly with this stuff I feel like every year around this time if I pull up a report on any offensive tackle in the draft somebody says he's probably better at guard right and I mean we're even seeing that about Evan Neal we're seeing it about the guys at the the real top of the draft and it just kind of gets me because if every tackle is a better fit at guard and every team's doing that then there's going to be no tackles left right so I guess what it what is it Where's the disconnect? I know some of it's physical and length and all of that, but the fact that it's every player, where is the disconnect between the college game and the program? That so many of these guys, it's it, it's almost forced like, oh, he's gonna have to be a guard. He's gonna have to be a guard instead of seeing if these guys can develop a tackle.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me personally, Neil's a tackle, Aquano's a tackle, cross is a tackle, Raymond and Penning are all tackles. Uh, Penning and Raymond could play guard. I mean, Neil. So I didn't. Well. Sorry, I didn't
1: mean to like attack you personally. It's more just like a thing I see, and we have an offensive line expert on about what other I'd people ask. are saying. Yeah. Not yeah. not asking you what other people. Not not. I'm not asking you like to defend, comment on what other people say, but is there? You like we see with wide receivers, right? The college game and the pro game have kind of drifted so far from each other that it's now becoming so much more of a process for receivers to develop at the NFL level, do you see that happening on offensive line at the tackle position And where specifically, if you see it happening, do you see it happening?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably easier for those positions to transfer to the NFL now, honestly, uh, given how much, how many RPOs and how, how heavy play action usage has increased over the last several years. I think the transition right now is is you know it's never easy uh for any position and especially for tackle but I think the gap is you know slowly shrinking a little bit in terms of how difficult it is because the schemes match up with college more than they ever have so yeah I kind of come at it from a different perspective altogether so yeah for me I mean just given that I think playing tackle right now you know again, it's still extremely difficult. It's very unnatural, all that, but yeah, the schemes right now help out offensive linemen more than I've seen in the last eight years uh, by far. Um, And that's because of the play action RBO. You're, you're allowed to be much more aggressive in pass protection, jump set, sell the run that helps offensive linemen. There's more guy. there's more misdirection, jet motions, all this type of stuff to create hesitations in defenses. There's so many things that are working in offensive linemen's favor right now. So yeah, that's so. I I just see it differently. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so I, I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, maybe there's more tackles that are projected inside. I think it's a case by case basis. Um, yeah, so that's how that's how I see it, honestly.
1: Interesting. Okay, cool.
2: Let's move over to guards. I've already been on the record, uh, pretty pretty angrily, I should say. And sometimes I get I get heated about this, Brandon. That the Patriots could potentially draft a guard at 21, not because. I don't like any of the prospects at 21, but when you're a team like the Patriots, that just is in a rebuild and needs top end talent, the positional value of drafting a guard at 21 and passing on some of these big time blue chip prospects, potentially that could be there just rubs me the wrong way. But Tell me why Zion Johnson specifically, because I think that he's kind of the number one guy now for everybody with the Patriots, if they're going to go guard in the first round, I know you love them. Uh, tell me why it's worth it for the Patriots to take a guard, even though it will drive me nuts.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm not totally like, you know, adamant about them getting a guard either. I probably side with you a little bit more on this than, than, uh, than anything, honestly, yeah. even though I'm an offensive line guy. But if they were to take an offensive lineman there and they kind of, you know, you kind of box that in and they have to take one, why would Zion be valuable? Um, Man, I mean, I've been a Zion guy since December, you know, my OG one. And it's just great to see him, you know, kill the offseason process, even exceed my expectations at the combine, stuff like that. But it's all just kind of, you know, just cherry on top stuff. That's not what makes him good. It's his tape. And to me, you know, he's very polished well-rounded and he his play strength power and body control all of those things blended together to me showcase and kind of lend themselves to a guy who's going to be able to be you know quote unquote cliche plug and play guy who could play for 10 years and that's how I see him that's how I saw him after I finished his film you know grade and all that he kind of reminds me of like a Kevin Zeitler Uh, you know, that's the kind of caliber of player that I think you're going to get with Zion Johnson. Um, So that to me is worth a late first round pick all day. Um, Now, granted that changes based on the team and kind of where they are on the roster construction and things like that, their offensive line room and all that kind of stuff. But just, you know, generally that to me is worth a late first round pick. You know, if you're getting a 10 year, you know, above average to very good starter at guard. And that's what I see. Zion as.
1: So moving down the board a little bit, you talked before, uh, Luke Koeki is, you know, the, the, such a Patriot, typical Patriot. The guy I get that vibe from in this draft is Cade Mays. Uh, what are your thoughts on him?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, the versatility, I guess, you know, would, would, uh, you know, signal kind of a Patriot y kind of guy, you know, who I think he has starts at, Oh, he has 19 at right guard, 12 at right tackle, two at left guard, two at left tackle. So he's basically played, you know, everywhere. I, I think he played some center at Georgia as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a four-year starter, uh, you know, high pedigree, you know, f- uh, top overall recruit in the state of Tennessee, 35 starts. Um, you know, I, I actually really liked him initially when I started watching him. I, I want to say it was against Pittsburgh. I think it was the first game of the year. Um, that was one of my favorite tapes that I watch of anybody this season. But Then you watch him against better competition as the year progressed. You saw some holes in his game, at least at right tackle. Um, and, you know, I, I think really it's uh, technique is a run blocker as well as pad level and hand placement can get high and wide. He can let guys get inside of him and underneath him a little too often. Doesn't really maximize his power as much as he should because of that. But you, when you watch him enough, you see it click and you could see some real torque that he's able to create in the run game. Um, and I think he's a pretty skilled hand fighter in pass protection. But, man, Kingsley Anagbari gave him a ton of trouble in that game against South Carolina. Um, I think the Georgia game was actually pretty good for him. Um, so, yeah, and I have some more notes. I, I think I watched like seven games of him. So I got a pretty good feel for him. You know, I see him as a fourth-round player. I compared him to a guy named Matt Slauson which might be a little old school for guys, but he was a guy that I started watching when I uh, first got into offensive line evaluation. And he's a guy who could play, you know, across the interior, basically. That's how I see Cade Mays, um, you know, maybe tackle in a pinch. So yeah, that grip strength and torque and then that proven positional versatility, I think that's what you're kind of banking on. And then you can hope that his technique pad level use of leverage can kind of clean up with time um but yeah I see him as pretty uh scheme versatile as well I think he has enough quickness to execute some of the zone concepts as well so yeah I mean he he's an intriguing guy you know like that that I see as like an early day three value so um yeah I could see the Patriots fit there for him
2: I want to bring you back up to the top of the board here with Kenyon Green uh, who is uh probably if it's not Zion early on in the draft, the Patriots go interior line early, it's probably going to be Kenyon green. Uh, what do you like about him? He's got some of that versatility too, but I'm assuming you see him a long-term as a guard as well.
0: Yeah, I do. I I do see him as a guard. Um, man, you know, on, I think the, the, the main thing with him is he's kind of a wider body than Zion Johnson. Um, physical rugged playing style with that wide base and he has good acceleration into contact. So he's creating knockback power at the point of attack. That's, that's his bread and butter. Um, He has heavy hands, you know, he can thump and feed defensive tackles over on double teams. I mean, he's a guy who's creating movement at the point of attack and he's a really good puller as well. Um, That fits into kind of a Patriots mold. He has that kind of clear, area of strength to his game that I think the Patriots really favor in their players. You know, they want a guy to have a clearly identifiable way to win that they could kind of tailor to. And I think that green has that in the run game. Um, So that to me, you know, could signal that fit. The things that, you know, the the reason why I have him as a second round pick, you know, second round grade for me um, is because of erratic wide hand placement kind of has a bad habit of not always bringing his feet into contact. He can kind of lean and wrestle with guys a little bit and he gets away with it, you know, in college, um, you know, I think more than he's going to do it in the pro game. So I think he has to clean up his technique a little bit in, in those specific areas. He doesn't really reset and refit quick enough on blocks. So maybe the body control isn't as good as you would like to see. Um, I think he needs to be a little bit more patient in pass protection as well. I think some shifty kind of sub package rushers can give him a little bit of trouble. Um, and I think we saw that on tape a little bit. So those are the things that I think he needs to clean up. But man, he has key f- and foundational traits to become a long time high quality starting guard in the NFL. Um, you know, just like I said, just needs to clean some, some stuff up. I compared him to Devin Joseph, who is a guy I loved watching with the Bucks back in the day, another old school guy. Uh, but, man, that's that's the kind of player I see, you know, most likely probably above average. But, man, he has a chance to be really, really good. It's just there's some things there to me that need to be cleaned up more so than a guy like Zion.
2: Yeah, I thought his initial movements out of his stance were actually a little bit quicker than Zion's. Like he he was a little bit more explosive out of his stance. But then Zion, I mean, I know the Combine's the Combine, but he tested through the roof at the Combine and Kenyon Green was a little bit more of an average tester, which I was kind of surprised about that. I thought watching the two of them that Kenyon Green moved a little bit better maybe uh, than Zion did. But based off the athletic testing, Zion blew him out of the water. So maybe my eyes need to... No, I
0: I agree with you. On that. Yeah, I was a little surprised for that as well. So, yeah, I think he plays a little faster than he tested, but he doesn't have the same body control and, you know, ability to sustain blocks that Zion does, in my opinion. I mean, there's some flashes of it. You know, you see the Twitter clips of him sustaining blocks 10, 15 yards downfield. Yeah. Those are great. But when you dig into his tape and you watch eight, nine games like I did, there's plenty of opportunity for improvement there with the wide hand placement that. That, that type of stuff can get exacerbated real quick as a pro. So the thing that's nice about him is he's 21. There's plenty. There's a long runway for him to improve. If a team wants to draft him over Zion, I totally get it. I, I just prefer the, the higher floor guy. That's just me. So, but, but you can make a strong case for either one.
2: Brandon, before we let you go, a lot of people in our chat here asking us to ask you about Zach Tom from Wake Forest and just what your impressions are of him. I know there's a a lot of underground love here on Patriots Beat for Zach Tom as a potential Patriot target.
0: Okay, yeah. I mean, Zach Tom, man, uh, I I only watched four games of him. So FSU, Clemson, Pittsburgh, Boston College, uh, you know, he he was a guy who was... uh, impressive i think he was light on his feet you know very good lateral quickness loose hips you know he can mirror redirect recover and stay attached pretty well um so some of that testing transferred i think uh you know to the tape um i, I like some of the things he does in pass protection he, he has pretty good uh, independent hand usage actually he's a little pretty refined um you know I, I hated the scheme he played in to be totally honest uh you know kind of not, I don't want to say air raid, but you know, heavy RPO pretty much inside zone every time. Um, it's just a very high tempo. Uh, he he didn't really have the opportunity to finish blocks. You don't see a diversified, um, you know, in terms, in terms of his blocking concepts that he was asked to execute, it's very repetitive. Um, so you didn't get to see him do a lot of NFL stuff and really finish blocks. Um, you know, I, I think the lean and slender build, you know, is kind of a concern. He doesn't really have, you know, a lot of play strength. Uh, I didn't think. Um, the more you watched his tape, he gets pressed off of blocks and walked back in his anchor a little too much. Um, so that you know, he's more of kind of a, a zone only guy to me. Um, you know, there's upside there with the athletic ability, but the below average strength, power, and anchor, you know, I think is uh, you know, why I have him as a fourth round. Grade. Um, But man, you know, he he could fill out his frame. Uh, You know, I think he has flashes of physicality. But to me, I want to see more of that. Um, You know, I compared him to like a Mitch Morse light. You know, and the thing, the reason why I couldn't go full Mitch Morse comp there is because I didn't see the physicality that Mitch Morse has. And Mitch Morse is actually like a little bit stronger than I think given credit for. So if he can show that he's very physical and actually has some more play strength than maybe the scheme allowed him to show, then he could be a much more valuable player than a, you know, early day three guy, like I have him. Um So there's, there's some uncertainty there, but I see him, you know, being able to earn a swing backup role, you know, right away with starter potential down the road. So that's how I saw him um, fun player to watch, but man, it just kind of, it's kind of a, downer whenever you see a guy in a scheme like that, where everything, you know, pass protection, he's seeing five techniques almost every time. Very rarely does he see a wide nine. He's not tested a whole lot. I mean, those kind of things, it's going to, it's going to be a little bit more of a stark, steep transition for him, you know, going into a pro style system than most, but there's certainly some traits there to work with and some, you know, some technique stuff that's nice. So he he's an intriguing guy, but it's just about where you get a guy like that to me.
2: Buffalo Bills center uh, Mitch Morris is who he's talking about. So Patriots fans, if you watch a lot of Patriots tape, you'll know uh, Mitch Morris from the games against Buffalo, and you can you can kind of see what, um Brandon here sees in, in Zach Tom. Who I think we mocked Zach Tom to the Patriots in one of our mock drafts out, and we, I think a couple weeks ago. Yeah, we la-
1: the last the last one Thursday.
2: Yeah, uh, fourth round, maybe somewhere around there. Yeah, the it early.
1: sounds about right.
2: Yeah, it was uh it was one of our picks. So I'm glad we got to break him down. Brandon, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Obviously, uh, he's extremely knowledgeable. So tell everybody where uh, they can follow you because the Patriots are going to take at least two off. I, they're definitely taking one. I, I think that they might actually take two or even more than that. So you're going to want to follow Brandon so that he can give you uh, the insight on these players.
0: Yeah, you can follow me um, at Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL. And then I have a newsletter on Substack, .substack trenchwarfare.substack.com. That's where I really get to do kind of my own analysis on offensive and defensive line. So I'll have some more draft stuff. I'll have the film room with Luke Kadecki, a film room with Cole Strange um, coming out before the draft. uh, And then hopefully a couple really cool podcasts with a guy like Duke Manny Weather, maybe Dane Brugler couple other things in the works you know where we're going to really dive into the offensive line class and then bleacher report I'm grading every offensive lineman in the draft for the second year so I think I'm like 65 guys deep right now and I still have like five guys to go so yeah I mean any offensive lineman I'll I'll hopefully have a report on him so yeah
2: awesome yeah those bleacher report reports for offensive line it's where I go, if I need some extra insight on any of these guys, uh, my automatic go-to. It's a big help uh, for people like me that like to get into the draft in uh, March and April instead of doing it at the beginning of college football season like everybody else. So I, I always have to have a crash course on the offensive line, and Brandon always helps us out. So go ahead and follow Brandon at Brandon Thorne NFL on Twitter. And uh, for us here on Patriot Speed, we will be back on the show on Thursday night, Patriots mock draft 4.0 edition live here on Pat's Speed and on Patriots press pass. I'm sure we will take one of the offensive linemen, uh, even maybe even Zion Johnson, if Alex that convinces me to do it uh, in the draft on Thursday night. So uh, one of these guys that we talked to with Brandon, I'm sure will be on our board uh, come uh, mock draft 4.0. So getting down to it now, two weeks to go to the draft and uh, we're going to continue rolling here on Patriots Speed with those mock drafts uh, next Thursday as well. And then we'll get into the, draft uh the week after that so brandon thank you so much for coming on we'll have you on again soon and until next time signing off for alex barth i'm evan lazar thanks for watching everybody and we'll see you thursday